Good morning to each of you. It's a blessing to be here. I've enjoyed the worship so far. I want to congratulate you for your efforts in Bible memory. I feel sort of challenged about that. It's a very good thing. I appreciate the Sunday school and the different ways we've worshipped so far. Uh, we're together in a little bit different way than we've probably ever been before, just the way we've gathered in here. And I don't know what goes through your mind, but I wonder sometimes, well, what does God really want to say? We don't always, we know a little bit as a preacher, for instance, what we're being led to talk about, but we don't always know what all God wants to say in a given person's heart. It's probably good we don't, because we try to manipulate that a little or help it along. And better just to let God do His work. And the amazing thing about God and His Word is He can do things that we never even had in mind. He takes our frailty and He takes the power of His Word. And he, uh, I was just listening to a young brother preach the other night. But I give glory to God, I had the opportunity to bless his life a little bit in preaching years ago. In fact, he mentioned an illustration I gave, just a simple illustration about eternity, and God lifted it up in his heart and brought him to deeper repentance. And that's really what I'm looking for, folks. I'm looking for what God can do. I can entertain your minds for a while, but I really want God to speak to my heart and speak to your heart. So let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're here worshiping you these hours. We've been blessed so far. We ask you to continue to bless us, minister to our hearts. With all the religious confusion, with all the deception and false doctrine and lives are living in sin. We ask you, Father, to help us to have clear understanding of your truth and to be willing, yea, eager to obey, to live, to do. I pray that you bless every soul gathered here this morning. And we ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. Well, maybe just to make a comment about the things I had written here last night, I think I gave hesitancy to a few folks when they saw that I put Savior and Salvation on a, an order of things that doesn't work out the way God wants them to. Of course, I hope we all understand that our Savior, oh, what a Savior. We really do feel that way about it. We have a glorious Savior and a glorious Salvation. But it's like all the good things of God, when it's emphasized in a wrong way, it brings a wrong result. Now, marriage is a great thing when it's within God's structure. Outside of that structure, it just doesn't work well at all. And even salvation in our Savior, our blessed Savior, can have a wrong emphasis in a wrong way, gives wrong results. So that's the point. I hope I didn't confuse it. I also should have said, and I'll say it now, that you cannot categorize everyone in neat little boxes. 
that just doesn't work. And there are there are Protestant people, there are progressive Mennonite people. I have no doubt it's going to be in heaven. I trust with a lot of us. I'd love to be all of us. Uh, sometimes the structure is not good, but God still gets a hold of people's lives. <laughs> Praise God for that. It's something he can do. Appreciating practice that has helped maintain the faith. When Brother Keith contacted me about subjects, <clears throat> I just kind of quickly gave him some that were on my heart. And there's reasons for that. This one may be because we have been we have been struggling in our district with some lack of appreciation for practice <coughs> that I feel is safe and sound and works. And not peculiar just to us. It happens to be something that uh, I believe that the Mennonite Church, and if you remember what I mean by the Mennonite Church, I mean us in this case, because that's who we're talking to. The Mennonite Church is getting to the point where it's facing another sorting out. People are going to have to decide as things get more uncertain, we'll look at that tonight, really, just where they're going to plant their spiritual feet. And part of the issue is going to be what we're looking at here this morning. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? <clears throat> it's a well-known passage. I'm going to read several passages here in succession and trust that God is going to lift the power of his word up in your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then this amazing verse in chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1. I suppose none of you except me and a few others here have to turn to this, right? 1 Peter one verse thirteen and following Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, 
so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 5. And starting to read with verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Another amazing verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Andrew Murray says that means through and through. Top to bottom, bottom to top, side to side. Sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So I... I just would desire that God would grip our hearts with these truths. It seems clear to me that God wants us to live a lifestyle that agrees with his holy character. And he wants us to work at it. It's not something that you and I can just get with a magic quick two-minute prayer. He wants us to work at it, perfected of all things. Uh, make it through and through. Make judgment calls about it. And look to him for the power and grace to get it done. And so without in any way desiring to do injustice to scripture, I'd like to try to kind of make a little conclusive statement about these scriptures, sort of tie them together, the ones I've read so far. I'm going to try to write it up here on the board because my experience tells me that many times by the time the fellowship meal is over, very little of the message is retained any longer. And if you happen to write things down, maybe you'll even want to write this down so a little of it sticks for at least a few hours. Christians know that God's on our side. He's not against us. He's for us. If we give him even half a chance. I don't know that's that. If we give him a chance, he'll, he's, he's more than willing to take up the, the cause. So we found this in 1 Thessalonians. What the proper abbreviation is there. Uh, 524. He, he wants to help us. 
He'll do it. God wants to help us prove all things. This is like as if you're in a laboratory. Wants uh, wants you to put things to the test, and He's willing to help do that. Make judgment calls. That's what that proving means. Make. Judgment calls. What's right? What's wrong? What works? What don't work? What what helps us to be like Jesus? What don't? And that was in verse 21 of the same Thessalonians. Make judgment calls so that our lifestyle demonstrates the indwelling presence of God. sharing last night, if we do that, that develops into a culture and a practice. An amazing thing that has impressed me a number of times in Scripture is that the Bible, and it says this far more than one or two times, sometimes indicated, sometimes just saying it really clear, clear that God wants us to please Him. A lot of people think of God as a very exacting judge, as someone fearful, someone who gives law, and indeed he does, and God should be feared in a reverential sense of the word, but God really is for us, and he's looking for reasons to be pleased with us. And Colossians 1, if you'll turn there yet, for the moment, Colossians 1, And verse, starting with verse 9, and I'm going to just read part of a sentence here then because Paul goes on for about 10 of them, but I just want three verses here. First, Colossians 1 verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I find that amazing. God, he wants us to live in such a way that he could just be pleased with everything. I'd like you to picture with me a moment. I think we can do this without being sacrilegious at all. The God through his Holy Spirit comes... And he comes right into the sitting room, somewhere about here, somewhere in the center of our heart. 
and he sits down in his recliner and kicks up the feet, and then he just begins to relax and look around. He looks at the order of things, he looks at the decor, he senses the aromas coming from the kitchen, and he smiles. And if he can't smile, there's a look of concern comes across his face. And as that look of concern comes across, he discerns, am I being resisted? Am I being quenched? Am I being ignored? Does this household even care what I think about things? He really, he really desires to sit there and just be pleased. And there's that blessing of peace and approval and joy and relaxation of a recognized holy presence. I will dwell in them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. I wonder when people say, is this really necessary? Do I really have to do this? Is that really in the Bible? I wonder if they're asking themselves this question. Is God pleased as he sits in the center of my heart? Or if we just wish we could rejoice in our salvation, forget about all of Do you get that? For those of you who were here last night, there's a difference between living as a disciple to please God or just hoping that I can get by on the cheek and be saved in that day but not really caring about what my life is all about. So appreciating practice has helped maintain the faith. Again, I want to define some terms. Uh, Merriam-Webster says that appreciating means understanding the worth, importance, and value. Talking about understanding the worth, the value, the importance of those things that help us to maintain faith, practice, practices, customs, and teachings. And I'll guarantee you that every group of people have customs and teachings. They may be all convoluted, not even well understood, but they're there. I hope that's not true of us. I hope ours are defined quite a bit. And they're here. Maintain, keep in good condition. Keep in good condition customs and practices. Value those because they help us to maintain the faith. The faith we're talking about is the faith that works. The faith that when you have walked with Jesus throughout life, you end your life in peace and you're ready for eternity with God. Anything less than that is really not worth much in the way of religion, is it? If it was just a profession throughout life, but at the end of the day we're not ready to meet God, be it by death or be it when the trump sounds, then really, it was all a waste. That living belief in Jesus that works with the final result of eternal salvation. And I believe this morning that based on the scriptures we looked at, 
if, if this in some way expresses the core of what those scriptures were saying. That there are practices, there are customs that are helpful. They're safe uh, practices. They're, they're sane. They make sense. They make logical sense. And they, they're sound in that they harmonize with the principles that the Word of God teaches. And they help us to keep our lifestyle holy. And holiness really amounts to this. As we look at issues and we make the judgment call, holiness is staying away from the things that aid sin and embracing those things which aids our love to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love God and we hate sin. And I have to say when I make that statement that there are sins that I don't hate. And so I still need to pursue God more to where not only do I not want to fall into temptation, but I hate that sin. Now, the Mennonite church, us, I think of, you know, I'm old enough. For you young people, I just want you to know that I'm old enough that I attended the media Bible school. Now, uh, they still have the media Bible school, but people from our churches don't go to the media Bible school. Well, back in my day, we did. If you went to the media Bible school, a sensible thing to do was buy a copy of the doctrines of the Bible. And I think this is probably true in some Bible schools like Ebenezer and Maranatha and some of the other Bible schools. I don't know. But at any rate, most of our Bible schools, if you go, required subjects. You know what the required subjects are? Anybody? Non-resistance. Non-conformity. You know what they're called in Mennonite doctrine? You know what non-resistance and non-conformity are called? Distinctives. Mennonite distinctives. Uh, I, I don't mean to stir up any controversy that's not needed nor mud the watch, but I did have this thought. I like some real sound grade men to help me along with this in coming hours. But can distinctives become a mind? We better think that up. I believe the Bible teaches nonconformity. In fact, the verses we read this morning teach quite a bit about that. I also have no doubt that, that God says clearly in His Word, resist not evil, and do violence to no man, and love your enemies. No doubt about it, there's teachings that, that undergird what we call non-resistance. However, if we are going to 
have a brotherhood that expresses the life of Jesus Christ. There are at least some other doctrines that we're going to have to give equal or even more importance than these two distinctives. I think the Mennonite church made a mistake in calling these two distinctives. Not in teaching them. They're biblical and they're in there and we need them. But we should not have defined our following of Jesus Christ by these two. At least not alone. If we're going to do distinctives, let's do about six or seven of them. And one of them I referred to last night, discipleship. Because you can do this and this, and you can be a worldly, and love your money, and love your fun, and still be non-conformed and non-resistant. Well, you can have forms of the two, without the essence thereof. And so discipleship, and two kingdoms. We don't believe in a one kingdom world. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of our Christ. And that's why 2 Corinthians says, you don't, you don't do this because it don't mix with this. You can't be part of this and part of this. Don't be unequally yoked. Come out from among them and be separate. Why? Well, not because you'll be a good man. Be because the living God's going to live in you and walk in you and be your God. And you're going to be his people. I remember of a young brother that I appreciated very much when we were young and we were going to Bowery Mission in New York City and he said, ah, I'm more concerned about my life right now than I am before communion time. Something to that effect. What was he saying? He was saying, I want to go into New York City with the presence of the living God in me and I want God to be pleased with me so that good things can happen. you understand that? If I can't come up here with something of God in my life, then I need to sit down real quick and let Brother Keith or someone else do it. Because when we go to do the things of God, if God can't work, it's a total loss. It's a wipeout. So two kingdoms. <laughs> You're going to hear what I have to say, Lord willing this evening about certain uncertainties. My daughter said that's an oxymoron. And then, I mean, she agreed with me readily that it wasn't because you, you can be sure about things you're not sure about, right? And you can be certain about things that are uncertain. But there are there are oxymorons. There definitely are. And I think an oxymoron is a Christian movie star. Or a Christian mercenary. Or a Christian bartender. And there's reasons why there's some things you can't do and be a Christian because there's two kingdoms involved. There's some things that always, always, always pertain to the other kingdom. The doctrine of prayer. We do good. And I, I bow my head and say I need more of it when I see like the kind of Bible memory you, you're doing. That's wonderful. We ought to be people of the book. I don't want to diminish from that, but we ought to strengthen prayer in the midst of it. We need stronger emphasis in our churches on the need to pray. I need it badly. 
I think in general the church needs it. We need emphasis. Truth is like dynamite. You have to give it some punch to detonate it. You know, get the power released. And we need we need emphasis in prayer. And we need emphasis in service. We have far too many people who would never serve on a jury and would never vote. And they would always wear the garb the church has prescribed for them. But you can hardly get them to budge when a call comes to serve Christ. On somewhere outside their business. And that's a shame to our churches. By the way, I'm glad you got a family in Peru and uh, some other interests. And, and, uh, and I'm glad you're having a pancake supper. Whatever effort, efforts to love your neighbor within within God's parameters, go for it. We need, we need to be challenged with things of service. To rattle us loose from chains that, that bar us to this earth. You know we're getting ready to leave, right? We don't know when, but we're getting ready to leave. Some folks are building hopes down here. And planning ahead, so busy with their fortunes, they forget what Jesus said about the wars and the earthquakes and the fig trees budding leaf. But there is a group of people getting ready to leave. And we need to be getting ready to leave. So our church has made judgment calls over the years. We've looked at this thing of following Jesus and we've did some really practical stuff sometimes with this non-conformity, non-resistance. We've said things like you may not serve on a jury because that involves us with force and law and all that. You may not vote. You may not be a policeman or a guard. Uh, no suing at law, although that's sure being undercut these days. But no suing at law. Wear a plain suit. Short sideburns, dark trousers, light shirts, cape dresses, long sleeves. No clapping. When I get finished this message, I'm not expecting any clapping time. Not too much adulation either. It feels good when someone says we appreciate the message. It really does. We're careful about that. I've seen, though, in the home area, we're getting a little more freer with our clapping than we used to. You know, there's a reason why we don't clap. We think that most of us have enough problems with pride as it is. Uh, no piano organ up here. I like piano music. In fact, I've made an effort to have several of my children trained in it. We don't have one up here. Uh, no guitar, drums, no special singing. Now, you folks allow more special singing than we do. I wish we would have more. Yeah, it, our discipline up there in Cumberland Valley has some things I would change if it was just me. You know that? And I got to put up with it? No, 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 no. I get to embrace it because we're submitting one to another in the fear of God. That's one of my would change. I think there's times when that special singing can actually be a blessing even a revival meeting. But I'm glad we're not dominated by it. I'm very glad we're not dominated by it. 
Why do these things matter? I sent a brotherhood meeting some time ago, and someone who had been living in disobedience to some of the standards in their family have numerous examples of not keeping the brotherhood agreements. And they were waxing eloquent about the real need of the churches that we break down these walls of division and these, these areas where we don't love each other, respect each other, and we put up these boundaries, and we, there's where we really need to start with the revival of the church. And it all sounded really spiritual. And I did some, I did a lot of meditating on that sense because that didn't solve all the problems. And I thought, well, why would we ever? Why would we ever say that someone who grows their sideburns down to here, if they won't change that, we would literally excommunicate someone from the church because of that? Why does it matter when there are obviously people who are going to go to heaven with that length of sideburn? Why should we make such an issue? I think we need to be able to answer that. Because I thought about it, well, so you go to a brother like that and you say, you know what? It's very clear through the generations that with God having said that short uncovered hair represents the glory of God, the devil has inspired people to bushiness, uh, modes and fads, and styles, and shagginess, and feminine appearances in defiance of God's requirements. And it's clear that as churches lose ground spiritually, the hair of ladies shorten and the hair of men lengthens. Up until we had some really modern fans where they start shaving it all off. So if you go one way, you go the other And so you say, our brotherhood has agreed that an administrative point where we can all agree to express our formality, our respect, our decency and hair is middle of the year. We'd really like you to do that. All right, I'll try. Come back six months later and you say, brother, the trying hasn't worked too well. Would you try harder? We don't really say it that way, but that's what you mean. Give another nudge. And maybe it goes up a quarter of an inch, but it still doesn't get there. I don't know what's in your mind, but I'm going to tell you something I'm convinced about. By the time you've worked with that about two, three years, you're no longer dealing with an issue of sideburn. You're dealing with an issue of rebellion in a heart toward administration in the church and judgment calls that reflect something that's holy in God's eyes. What about this? There's a lot, a lot of Mennonites who use this type of This was actually someone else's. But at least I got one. Why, why can't a simple 
sweater and jacket? I've had to face these kind of questions a lot. You know, folks, I've worked with men on air missions now for about 30 years. And some of those people, they actually see a suit like this as, as something that's pompous and rich and elevating in status. So why can't we just go in our shirt sleeves? Well, actually, if it's a tropical climate, it makes a lot of sense. There was this man came to church one time in a congregation where they pretty much said he had to wear a suit coat, and the poor fellow walked for miles in intense heat, or fairly strong heat, and uh, when he got there, he was barefoot, but he had his suit coat on, and the sweat was soaked all the way through the big blotch in the middle of his back. The poor man was sweated wet, and uh, I don't think the suit coat was doing him a whole lot of good, but um, so they say, where in the Bible is not this men's command. Where in the Bible does it say wear a suit coat? Well, I'm not going to give you a verse. And please don't take me to the border of blue in the Old Testament. That's not going to convince me at all. Uh, I, in fact, I don't believe that the New Testament te teaches be distinctive in dress. I do believe it teaches not conformity or so, as an expression of nonconformity, and as a position about not being pressed into the world standard of flash and display, over the years we developed this. And today, if you ask me, what do you see as the greatest value of the suit coat? I would tell you because it identifies with you. You, brother. It identifies me with a group of people who have chosen to make judgment calls about respectability, about formality, about nonconformity, and like issues. And so it has worked well to keep us simple and united as many, many churches throughout this valley and other places who have similar beliefs. And I don't think you need a verse for that. All you need is for the brotherhood to decide this works well for us in keeping us in avoidance of a lot of unnecessary administrative headaches and staying simple and pilgrims and strangers here on the earth. I don't think you need more than that. It just needs to make good sense and work. And if a church decides to use only gray sweaters, well, Eventually, they'll probably discover that gray sweaters don't work out when you want to have a wedding, so they want to go back to the suit after all. And if they drift far enough, someday, instead of one layer, they'll have about three layers on. They'll be sweating like that man in Guatemala. They won't be proving anything except what my brother said last night. New ideas about old-time foolishness. I've thought long and hard, I think I have, over the years. Why do these little details matter? And why is it that churches, more churches than don't, keep changing and changing and changing and getting more permissive and more permissive and more permissive and eventually starting to cross lines that even God has specified in the word that you shouldn't cross. And they keep going and going and finally they apparently get to some religious cliff or spiritual clip, 
And it's just like they drop off the map of all reasonableness of obedience to the Scripture. Why does it happen? <coughs> and I'm convinced that the reason it happens is because God has expected us as a people to perfect holiness and make judgment calls. And we don't always make the best ones. And I'm not going to say that in all our applications of non-conformity and non-resistance in a two-kingdom world and discipleship that we've always made the wisest ones. And we've not always made the wisest ones about beards and mustaches and all that. And all the things we get embroiled in. I, I associated with Pablo Yoder for years and I used to be shaving. He'd come by and he'd say, there you are, arguing with God again, Dwayne. But he brought this argument from God to the church to preach. And, you know, so out of respect to their standard, even on nights through the week, I would try to wear shirts that had no lines, no figure, no anything. In fact, when I was younger, I used to do more than that. White just makes it simple. Anyway, um, but I didn't grow a beard for it. And he would say, I'm so glad you've come to preach because I want our people to understand the difference between absolute commands in Scripture and applications we make to commands in Scripture. And you all make the application to not have a beard, we make the application to have a beard. Alright, well I bored just as hard with him when he would come to our church and lay his collar hanging wide open while he preached. But, uh, different standards, different places. I have to tell you all this one. I just have to tell you all this one. One day he called me and he said, Dwayne, he said, Southeastern called and asked me to go to Puerto Rico, but they wanted to know if I'd shave my mustache. I'm not shaving my mustache. So he said, I told him, ask Dwayne, he don't have a mustache. <laughs> so that's how I got to Puerto Rico the first time. We left, but... Working out a way that's administrative to express a godly lifestyle is important. I read you the scriptures that say so this morning. And when people finally get to the conclusion that this is nonsense, I, before God, have the right from God's word and his spirit to decide what's good for me. And they begin to reject the counsel of brotherhood and the authority of the church. There is a place in that process where spiritually all is lost. Not because of the suitcase. Not because of the sideburns. But because of a decision that God does not have a right to invest authority and judgment calls in brotherhoods. And that walking in a holy lifestyle, step one is a personal election. Step two, it's not important. Step three, glory, I'm saved. Sin's not an issue. And instead of debating the length of sideburns, they end up debating whether they're going to accept the transgender pastor or not. So you pick your discussions where you want them. Uh, but I trust you all with me want to keep them where it's gotten. So what can we do to appreciate this thing? I, I think I think the first thing is we need, and I'm trying this morning, I don't know if I'm going to get it done or not, but I'm trying to help you to see. I'm not just trying to amuse you. I'm trying to help you to see that these little issues that are administrative 
and that they make sense and they work are very vital and important. They're not just casual issues. We must choose a way of life that keeps the truth of nonconformity, of non-resistance, of a two-kingdom world, of a prayer life, of a discipleship that works out in practical shoe leather. How are we going to appreciate it? Number one, that list last night, we must keep people of every generation, every new believer going back to life in Jesus. Because the only way that anybody who follows me will ever be convinced that it's all right even to wear this coat is if they can see something beyond the coat in me, which is the life of Jesus Christ. If that don't work, if they know I'm a jerk when it comes to doing business, if they know that I'm an unforgiving man in my home, if they know that, that there's just no way I face up to the moral question, and on and on and on, then this will become a red herring. A stumbling block. And so, as I said last night, the, the, the answer is not a shift in culture. It's not remaking the whole system. But we need revival of the life of Jesus. We must demonstrate that Christianity works. I'm happy to tell you young people this morning that God answers prayers for people who wear plain suits. And God does miracles for people that wear plain suits. And God gives people to overcome their temper and rise above their lust and treat their wife right and treat their husband right who wear plain clothes. And if it's not happening, it's not the plain clothes fault. You need another dose of Jesus. And we need to try to make clear that doing things that work administratively, that help with submission and practice and, and obedience to God's word has tremendous value. And I've been in this work long enough to just know that that's not as easy as a lot of people claim it to be. Uh, we're, having, we're having trouble there in our school. We allow, we allow people from various backgrounds to attend our school. We're trying to be a blessing to a wide group of people. I'm not opposed to that, but it does bring some challenges sometimes. And we have some, we have some clothing challenges, nonconformity challenges. Uh, fellows who are bleaching their hair and ladies who are coming with un indecent dresses, etc. And so one of the issues they were looking at was pullovers, especially for ladies. Although they wondered about for fellows too, but you can understand this. It tends to be a little more of an indecent issue when it comes to ladies. So they're discussing this thing of pullover sweaters and like things. I was in the meeting for a while. I'm not a board member. But just um, by my role in the church, I was in one of those meetings and I, I encouraged the board. I know this even goes beyond our church standard, but why, just, why don't you just say no pullover sweaters? There's plenty of other times. Just make it simple. Well, I, I can appreciate that they don't want to make rule upon rule upon rule. So they made the rule no indecent overpool. Well, my experience as a bishop and board member and other things tells me that's going to be a major headache. In a Me Too movement, how are you ever going to go say, 
this young lady is wearing a puller that's too tight. Evil old man. You understand it? Now the church has a lot of wisdom when it just simply makes positions that are sane, sound, and practical for administration. Will wearing a pullover send someone to hell? Absolutely not. But keeping a sense of decency in our brotherhood helps maintain faith. Another thing I believe that helps us is just being honest about what we do. And uh, I hope I was honest about the suit coat. If you remember, I didn't give you any verse for this. I don't have it. I don't even want to say, be not conformed to this world and say it's this. It has an application, that's all right, but it's not the main reason. We all believe that in certain cultures, certain places, certain climates, you don't need this code. We prove it every summer. Don't we? Now, the Washington County folks in Hagerstown, Maryland area, they believe in distinction. Dress distinction in application of this. And so they're wiser than us if we claim we do. Because they wear something year-round to be distinctive. They put the hat on their head all year long. In work, in leisure, and in church. Now, having said that, without any condemnation to them, I'll have to tell you that I don't agree with that. But nonetheless, at least they keep themselves consistent. They have a distinctive garb. Our sisters have one all the time, but God chose that. He made them distinctive. And yet I will say this, God is looking for a distinction. And I'm amazed how a man who has integrity sticks out as a Christian in society. Not that I always have been what I ought to be, but I walked into this paint store one time. I'll just give you the illustration. I walked into the paint store one time. And I had paint clothes on. Probably whitish tight trousers and a whitish shirt with splotches of paint on it. I'm not the neatest guy when it comes to painting. If you look at my paint clothes, you'd see the truth of it. Uh, too lazy, I guess. I'll wipe it off on my church sleeve rather than grab a rag. So anyway, I look like a painter in some ways. And there was a lady in there who didn't look like a painter at all. Uh, but she was buying a, a goodly uh, amount of paint. And uh, I just made a comment to her. I said, it looks like you're a much neater painter than I am. And she almost swore. She said, oh my. She said, if you would see me and my sisters and we get the painting. She says, we get the drinking and we get the painting. And I was like a paint pot. And then she looked at me and she said, had no distinctive clothing on at all, and I look like, I better not say the wrong thing, but like there might have been a problem <laughs> with all the paint I had on me, but uh, we are to be distinctive, but I don't think it's the reason, except the distinction that I identify with a group of people who care about holy living. And I'm, I'm fine with that. And we tried in Guatemala for years to do it by taking the colors off a shirt. I, that worked somewhat, but I don't think it worked as good as this does for that. 
give honest answers. Don't try to apply Old Testament scriptures where they don't apply. Don't try to come up with Hezekiah 3.8 when Hezekiah don't exist in the scriptures. I mean as a book. Um, give honest answers. And help our people to see, let's help one another to see, that just like a dad has every reason in the world to say, Folks, in our house, we're going to get up at 6 because we're going to have family worship at 6.30. That it's just as proper for the church to say, on Sunday morning, we're going to have three songs to start, and in the evening, we're going to have two. If it works, why not? Why not? There's all kinds of little things like that we do. And a lot of times, we don't even think about it, but it develops a culture. But folks... What's really important is that the things we do help to keep us whole, help us to stay out of the... We made decisions over the years that really counted, like no TV and no circuses. And we're getting more and more into public sports when we ought not. But we tried to avoid those things. Why? Because you're a sinner? If you go... To a circus? Perhaps not. But it can easily lead to those things. A lot of people in, in Guatemala used to say to me, Our priest, it was a priest, or our preacher says that drinking one beer is not sin. What do you say? Well, I agree with him. I don't think it is a sin to drink one beer. Well, unless you belong to this church or mine. But, just at face value, aside from the brotherhood stand, no. But then I'd ask them, do you, do you know of anybody in your life that always drank only one beer? No. Well, that's why as a brotherhood we decide not to drink any. It's a safeguard. It's a wise safeguard. With all the drug addictions and alcohol, There's hundreds of things we do like that that just makes sense because, you know what, we've proved all things and we've decided we're going to hold fast to that which is good and we're going to abstain from all appearance of evil and we're striving by the grace of God to perfect holiness and fear of the Lord. Now, inevitably, some of these things become monuments and sometimes they become dead monuments. And when, when practice becomes a dead monument, we do not need to throw out all practice. We need a rebirth of the life of Jesus. And sometimes it's proper to say, this thing has become a bronze snake. It's time to throw this one out. But when you throw this one out, don't throw out the idea that holy practical living is important. God bless you all.